when Chip Conley sent me the question, well, what do you want for your life? And that, you know, that led to the whole just thought that it doesn't matter who we are, where we're at, what's going on. We're all one question away from a different life. And in, in less grandiose terms, one question away from a completely different mood at any point. Hey, it's Zach here and super quick before we dive into the show. If you haven't already, I want to make sure that you have subscribed to my free weekly Case of the Mondays newsletter because it is where I share my best advice, strategies, and mindsets to help you design a creative career that you absolutely love showing up for every Monday morning. When you sign up, I'll even send you a bonus five-day email course to help you clarify and prioritize the next small steps in your unique path to success. To sign up, just visit optimizeyourself.me slash newsletter. All right, on to today's episode. My name is Zach Arnold, and I'm a former Hollywood film and television editor turned career strategist and the creator of Optimize Yourself, where I help artists, creatives, and storytellers just like you design the more balanced, more sustainable, and more fulfilling creative career that you deserve. In a nutshell, I'm Tim Ferriss meets Ted Lasso, minus the mustache, because I am obsessed with both learning everything I can about optimizing human potential while also inspiring you to realize yours. If you are ready to step outside your comfort zone, let's dive right in and unlock the optimized version of you. Hello, and welcome to the Optimize Yourself podcast, where I share honest and candid conversations with best-selling authors, world-class athletes, Hollywood legends, elite experts in a variety of fields, as well as everyday people that are achieving extraordinary things. It means the world to me that with all the podcast choices out there, you have chosen to invest your valuable time, energy, and attention with me. Now, before we get started, don't forget to visit optimizeyourself.me slash podcast so you can subscribe, leave a review, and so you can also download your unique customized podcast playlist where I'm going to send you the five best expert interviews from our archives to help you achieve your specific goals. So on that note, without further ado, let's get right to today's guest. I'm here today with Mark Champagne, who is an author, a speaker, and interestingly, which we're going to talk a lot more about, a mental fitness strategist. You're also the host of the top 50 ranked podcast, Behind the Human, and you study the questions and practices that shape the lives of legends and world-class performers, questions, as you say, that have the power to change your life and work. And you're also the author of a book we will be talking a lot about today, Personal Socrates, Better Questions, Better Life, or for those of you that are late Gen Z in the Xennial generation and grew up on Bill and Ted, personal Socrates. So, yes. Mr. Mark Champagne, welcome to the show. Thank you, brother. It's an honor and a privilege and uh, just so excited to be here with you. Uh, I have to be honest, every time I read the title and I'm going to talk about it to other people, I always have to stop myself. It's not personal Socrates. It's not personal Socrates. It's Socrates because I just <laughs> grew up on that being the name and that just kind of being the, the colloquial version of it. Um, but I want to make sure we clarify for everybody. It's Socrates indeed. And we're going to talk about the Socratic method, going to talk about how how to ask better questions, and you're going to help me verify what has been instinctually a belief of mine that through your reading and reading others has since been verified that in my own words, and your words are very similar, I believe that the quality of our life is dictated by the quality of our questions. And yes. without without realizing it as a coach and as a podcaster for years, I've driven my students and my guests crazy because whenever they ask me a question, I never give them an answer. I just ask them a question in return. And it wasn't for years that I'm like, oh, 
that's kind of sort of the Socratic method, isn't it? So <laughs> the, the purpose of our conversation today is ultimately for the guest to walk away understanding not only the importance of asking good questions, but how to ask themselves the right questions to improve the quality of their life. Before we get into the weeds, though, I think they need to understand a little bit more about you and your journey and how you ended up in a place writing about asking better questions. Because it's not like you were a scholar and you know, a researcher and you're digging through all the books and you're going through Stoic literature. You took a very different path to get here. So what is your version of your origin story? Where do we begin? Well, Zach, I was born a natural philosopher. No, I'm just kidding. I, mean, I couldn't be. I couldn't be any farther from that. Even when you, you know, you talk about the Socratic method and Socrates and whatnot, I always get a little bit feels a bit weird. It's like he's talking about my book because I, I still don't really resonate with the idea of of being deep into philosophy and this method and so forth. It, it just happens to be that, like many of us, and I think you kind of alluded to this, we're all following the Socratic method in in one way. We just normally don't even realize we're doing that, right? So that's kind of how I, I entered into this, this world. Um, but before all of that, yeah, like you, like you mentioned, I mean, I, uh, my backstory is, is, is quite far from the, the, the path that I'm on right now. Even, even the podcasting world, like it didn't even exist, right? Like when we were in school, it's, it's crazy that we get to do this. Um, so when I was in school and when, when, when you know I was entering into the workforce and whatnot, I I was studying business and communications and you know landed in a sales function and then eventually into product and brand management, uh, which is something that I really enjoyed. And as a strategist, and 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 this continues to kind of play into my world now, uh, just a little bit more around mental fitness. Um, I just enjoyed you know working with teams and solving these these complicated pro problems with all these inputs and so forth, right? And you've got to, as a strategy, you have to come out with, um, you know, some sort of clear direction and so forth. And while I did that, you know, I was in that corporate world for about a decade. I, I always had a mental fitness practice in the early morning. I didn't call it that. And it, it all came up because when I started in sales, we were all being, at that time, you know, you would be hired in these big batches of people, essentially. And then everyone would be trained up in, essentially in the same way. And I just remember thinking, how possibly am I going to excel in the sales function and, and be at the top and win these trips that they keep talking about if we're all being trained the exact same way? And for whatever reason, uh, at that time, my solution was... Well, I'm just going to get up a bit earlier in the morning, 10, 15 minutes early, and just read positive content. And I still don't know kind of where that came from, but I'm forever thankful for making that decision because it's really, if I really look back, you know, 12, 13 years now, um, that decision has has really been the catalyst to, to everything that I'm doing now. Um, because it, it just, it exposed me really quickly to journaling. And the questions that these people that I was reading about were uh, asking themselves that kind of no one was really talking about. It was just they were littered in in the you know in the blog posts or in like Success Magazine at the time. And and then when podcasts kind of came on the circuit, same thing in the interviews. These these questions that were pivotal in their journey journey and and completely shaped their work and their lives. So I would I would write those down and start journaling on them in relation to where I was at. And um, that's what brought me into this space. Um, and I'll, I'll stop there because I've, I've said a lot. There's obviously uh, some big events later on that take place that 
kind of got me to where I'm at right now, but that's how it all started. Yeah. And there, there's a, a lot of pieces in here that I want to dig into. And we're going to just keep going with this story. But the one flag that I want to plant to just reemphasize what you're talking about is the concept of journaling. This yeah. is one of those things that I've been aware of for most of my adult life and was very hesitant about, really wasn't my thing. Uh, I'm definitely one of those people that I'm sure you've heard about many, many times where I own 10 different journals and I have five pages of them that are used and 178 pages that are totally <laughs> blank. Like, I'll give it a trial starter. Yeah. It's not for me. And it was one of those things fairly recently. And I've talked about this on previous uh, episodes of the podcast where every person I talked to and just the universe was conspiring to not give me any choice, but to focus on intentionally creating a journaling practice over and over and over. I'm like, okay, fine. I get the point. I'm going to focus on journaling. And I've gone very deep down this rabbit hole. And because of that, all of a sudden, bing, you show up in my life. I don't think that's really <laughs> that's an awesome. accident, right? But <laughs> you you showed up in my life completely by accident, for lack of a better word, because I was learning a lot more about the process of creativity and went mm. down a rabbit hole and found Joey Caffone yeah. and was getting ready to prepare for him. And I'm just going through some of his products. I'm like, personal Socrates, what is this? I'm like, oh my God, this is all about asking better questions for a better life. Big <laughs> done, done, buy it. Brought in like, oh my God, this came to my life at the perfect time. So I want to make sure to emphasize to everybody just the importance of the journaling process specifically for creative minds, but for anybody in general. And I want to bring that up now because I know that me listening five years ago would be like, oh God, really a podcast about journaling? And eh, maybe I'll, maybe I'll uh, flip to the next one in the rotation. Do not flip the rotation. Do not go to the next episode. If you're scared of the word journaling, I was too. And I want to talk about the benefits of it with who's now become one of the world's experts on the reflection process. That having been said, I'm not ready to go there yet because your story is too fascinating. And the part that's well, so hold, fascinating. Hold on, no, no, I have to oh, yeah, go ahead. Because I have to ask Please. you, what was the, what was the, what was the unlock for you then? Like what shifted your perspective for from ah, journaling is not for me. It's not, it doesn't work too. Like now it seems like you're pretty deep into it. Uh, I would say that there were two things. The first of which was not what unlocked it. It was what, what was stopping me from unlocking mm. it. And that was the idea that number one, I have to do it perfectly. I have to do it every day and it has okay. to be beautiful prose. Yeah. And it has to be multiple pages and it's my deepest, darkest thoughts. And this is my personal diary. That was the first thing is this image of what perfection or completion looks like. Okay. And one of the things that flipped that switch more than anything, and I wish I talked about this was Joe and, and I didn't, um, was the concept of when he sent me his book, it had the slash through the first page. I'm like, why'd somebody put a mark on the first page of his book? And he talks about that in his book, where as soon as he opens a journal, he ruins the first page. Because thematically, mm. it's like, nope, this just means that I've already messed it up and this book isn't going to be perfect. So I might as well just use it anyways. That yeah. unlocked something in my brain. And the other one was realizing that if you just have very, very simple prompts or a very simple organizational system, it doesn't have to be everything in your head. It doesn't have to be all these pages and pages of prose. It can literally be one sentence a day, one line, one stat. So yeah. kind of reframing to me what it meant to have a journal, because I was doing a reflection or a review process. And it's even something I've taught my students, but I was doing it digitally via Evernote. It was very structured. It had checklists. So it was more felt like here are to do items rather than a creative journaling process. 
it was once once I discovered the simplicity of it and also how the simplicity can lead to such profound changes in your perspective and the results you want to get. I'm like, I'm totally in. So I'm, gotcha. I'm down, deep down the journaling rabbit hole now. Okay. Well, we'll, we'll, we'll park it. We'll come back. But I've got some things that probably can help unlock uh, others and and I think just set a different perspective on the definition of journaling that will help. Well, well, then let's just do it now. Um, the the okay. What I want to make sure we get back to eventually is uh, the major career transition that you made because an area sure. that we very much focus on the show is the messy middle of career transitions and people that have decided, maybe not midlife, but at some point, I've gone down, quote unquote, the wrong path. And yeah. I wasted all this time. And now I want to make a, a change of direction and I'm starting over. And I help them understand they're not starting over. And I know that you have a very similar story. So we can either go down yeah. that rabbit hole or we can talk more about journaling. This is going to take like seven hours. I'm already yeah, yeah. so jazzed <laughs> up and we've barely gotten started. Yeah. Well, let's, 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 let's stick on the journaling. And then that'll, that'll dovetail nicely into the, you know, the, the big kind of career change. Cause that leads obviously directly into journaling. Um, but first just, um, on just on the definition of journey, and I've I've just I've kind of just learned this as I as I've been going, and my own journaling practice has evolved quite a bit uh, over the last I guess twelve fifteen years now um, because of this. And it's just if you think of journaling, because we often to your point, like think of it, in, we have some sort of preconceived notion of what journaling is, right? And often that has something to do with pen to paper and some sort of notebook. Uh, I used to get this all the time. People would say, oh, you're talking about like the 12-year-old uh, girl writing about the boy at schools and, and the crush or something like that, right? Which there's nothing wrong with that. But no, not necessarily. I'm talking about uh, anyone I'm reading about and studying they're essentially journaling in some capacity and they are asking really good questions along uh, along the journey which led to journaling like that practice behind it is just reflection so if you think of it you know how can i reflect now all of a sudden you take the whole equation of the tools out of there and it's you know sure it could be pen to paper and i mean uh, you know since you brought up joey and, and baron fig i like i am a definitely a baron fig product snob at this point and uh if i if i'm writing in a notebook it has to be one of theirs because i i just i've grown accustomed to the quality of the paper but you can journal digitally obviously which we'll get into in the backstory you can take audio notes you can take a walk you know, 10 minute walk after lunch and just have a question on the mind and just let your mind breathe and sit with that question, all journaling, because it's just reflection, right? Which now opens up this whole other ecosystem of opportunity to leverage the practice and the benefits of the practice, which tend to be more self-awareness, clearer mind, more intentionality, more focus, and and just feeling, you know, more in control of of kind of where you're going and clearing out a lot of that mental clutter and, and so forth. So um, that in combination with just not being so rigid with the practice itself, like, oh, I have to journal in the morning or I have to journal in the evening. Uh, and actually kind of like what you're doing with this conversation, just letting it flow. You know, something happens in the middle of the day. Well, instead of letting that thing, that email, that message, that comment hijack my mind for the next hour, just take a pause, take a breath and pull out the journal and process that. Let it go, release it, rechannel it, you know, reset the mind, whatever, whatever is required. But now like with literally within minutes, 
I can be back on track instead of having hours of just stewing in that mental torture, right? Um, or I, I started writing um, as things were happening in the day, like like just things that were putting a smile on my face just to the simplest stuff, like just, wow, this is a great cup of coffee to, um, you know, I've got a film studio that wants to produce uh, a series that I'm working on right now, Mental Fitness. Like, wow, that's... that's I write down that point on my desk. Uh, I'm, mind you, I have a glass top, so I'm using an erasable marker. So <laughs> I don't want people ruining their their beautiful wood desks. But just there's, again, something, Zach, about doing the, you know, having the process just integrated into the day seamlessly and letting that flow, and especially with the gratitude prompts, like just seeing as the day continues to unfold, all of this good stuff that's happening, that then you get to the end of the day and you're like, wow, it's a pretty damn good day. I, like I would have forgot half of these things, but it just makes it easier. So anyway, I hope that's, I hope that's helpful. I, I, like for me, it's at least been, it's just really opened up so many more avenues to, to, to tap into this practice that has been around literally since the beginning of time. Yeah, and what's so helpful about this, I hope for everybody else, but just to crystallize it for me, if we were talking about the the colloquial definition of journaling, of I've got this notebook, it's this nice moleskin, or for anybody listening, it's now Baron Fig, because I yeah. do them, the total Baron Fig snob, best product I've ever had as far as journaling. But if we define it as you have this nice high quality notebook and a pen and you're sitting down and journaling, if you said, Zach, how long have you been journaling? I'd say, I don't know, it's, I think it's been like a few months, but the real realization I had, I've been journaling for a decade because I've had a weekly email newsletter. I have a podcast. I write articles. And what I didn't realize is that that is my creative process to crystallize all the noise in my brain to work through all the problems and the challenges and force myself to ask better questions. I was just adding a layer of accountability on it. But if somebody is wondering, what were you struggling with eight years ago and what were the questions you were asking in your life? I say, go to episode 14 of my original Fitness Impulse podcast. That's my journal. But I didn't see it that way. So this conversation and the other conversations I've had recently, especially the one I had with Mike Vardy, it's like, oh my God, I've been journaling for a decade, but because I defined it as very nice, high quality notebook and a pen and I'm writing down my innermost thoughts, well, I'm not a journaler. When yeah. that clicked in, I was like, oh my God, this is a totally different perspective because I've I've literally been obsessed with the journaling process for 10 years, just in different formats than I call journaling. For sure, for sure. And I mean, so, I mean, nice segue to that, like another format and how how I, I really got invested in this space was, as I mentioned, I spent about a decade in the corporate world and I had this journaling practice. Uh, at that time, I was traveling quite heavily. So for me... I was journaling digitally. Um, and, you know, back in those days, there just wasn't a nice seamless solution for like in terms of apps to do it. Like there was, remember when I first started, I was using a, like a word processor essentially. And then eventually uh, Apple Notes had come out. So I was using Apple Notes. Then I was transferring stuff and copying and pasting into the, into the, the the bigger database of of it was just messy and I'm like there's got to be a better way to do this because at the same time right around that 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 era is when the meditation apps were really kicking off Headspace and Calm and so forth and you know for me it was like well so people are clearly open to being guided digitally in a particular space in this case meditation but there's nothing that exists um, right now 
for journaling that is like that, where you can guide people into a practice um, it's leveraging prompts to start it up. And just, again, like kind of what we've, what we've been talking about, but just blow blow out the, the definitions we've had and just try something a little bit different and let the practice, you know, do the magic and speak for itself. So that's where the idea for uh, the app Kyo, K-Y-O, which was the Japanese word for today. And at the time I was working for a Japanese based company. And so I was really kind of ingrained in the, in the culture and seeing kind of what was happening over there. And I, I really enjoyed uh, what I was learning about and so forth. So that's where, where the name came from and just set out to create the first at that time guided journaling app. And I did it for a while where I where I still had my regular day job and and I was heavily into brand and product strategy so I was taking those skills to create you know essentially a a pretty solid plan for this journaling app uh flipped my brother-in-law an email who has been a lifelong entrepreneur and had some like tech experience with his company we I say some in kind of like tongue in cheek because we we laugh about it now uh by far not a developer and and neither <laughs> neither am I so uh we probably would have looked for a technical co-founder if we were to do that again um but anyway it was enough to get started and we set out to create this app and you know it took it took a bit of time to sort out the development and so forth in the meantime that's when i started um reaching out to different people and where the podcast started and like i just like that you know get get your questions like what questions have really made a huge difference in your life and integrate that into the app so that when it launched we were loaded full of content and brand collaborations and people that uh, of influence that you would recognize their name and be like, oh, well, what are they talking about? And then you could interact with their questions and so forth. And long story short, we did that. We, within the first couple of years, without any kind of paid advertising, just because of those collaborations and of course, Apple featuring the product around the world, we amassed a ridiculous amount of App Store impressions. 86.9 million people saw the app at one point. Um, you know that's that's not downloads obviously but you know we we had a pretty healthy amount of of users that were coming through the app as well and you know it was just it was an insane ride because neither one of us had ever been in that space and uh this was really the the first kind of journey down that road but what it what it showed me at least is that clearly there's an interest in in this in a product like this and clearly the market um you know, has some sort of uh, of appetite to be guided and, and go down this 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 space and so forth. So, so yeah, that was that was the entry point into all of this work, and it's it's morphed around, uh, you know, into the book, and obviously the podcast has grown quite a bit. And and I just alluded to uh, that wasn't a fictitious example. I I am in right in the middle of trying to <laughs> talk to you because this is your background, trying to figure out. Uh, how this whole film world TV series works because uh, I'm I'm pretty deep in conversations of bringing a series uh, to life around mental fitness and the mental fitness guiding you know um, people uh, that we would all recognize and and uh, like going deep on the practices and and helping people apply this stuff because it's so accessible. Well, given that for several years, I focused on building an entire training program that I called cognitive fitness, 
having never heard of you, I have a feeling we might have a lot more that we could talk about beyond just like, I think you and I have a lot of interests in common and I will throw it out there right now. If you're looking for a resource to understand the entertainment industry, TV series, storytelling structure, the business, that invitation is open. And I'm very excited to have that conversation. Um, And this could very, we could completely monopolize just this call for four hours doing that. (laughs) Um, However, I'm not going to, but that invitation is open. We will talk about that afterwards. Uh, But I want to continue with the story because the assumption is, oh, my God, 86.9 million impressions. All right. You're a successful app developer. (laughs) You made some money. And now it's time to talk about how we got to the book. Right. I didn't miss anything important in the middle, did I? No, just the uh, the one step when I was looking at that number and, and staring at that Apple dashboard that the next step was to hit delete from App Store. And that's when my life blew up and my mind started to self-destruct. And uh, I never uh, had to rely on mental fitness as much as I had to do in, in those moments. So, I mean, the short story of, 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 you know, kind of gasp, like what happened there? How can you, you know, mess that up at, at such a colossal level, which were questions that were, were um, coming in my mind often and, and kind of sending me down a, a really dark tr- path because how do you reach that many people and still have to delete an app? And the short story was, you know, we weren't making money, clearly. Um, we we needed a lot more work in the flow of the app to retain the people that were coming in. You know, they're coming in and leaving just as fast as they were arriving. And, you know, there were some things like all of these media um, impressions and features and write-ups and PR and all that stuff was almost, you know, kind of masking the 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 fundamental like business problem. Like we had to sort out, you know, the conversions and things like that because it, it would they would give, you know, they'd give a little, little zest of life of, okay, well, well, surely, you know, if LinkedIn is is going to write about this or Lego is interested in this all of a sudden or an Apple's featuring again, like surely, surely we're on the right track, you know? And it just, it, it kind of prolonged um, that journey where realistically, you know, we just had some fundamental problems that we had to, had to address uh, around the financials. We needed more money and, um, also more mental capacity. You know, th- this was the point where this was for me personally was was really the was really the the key decision makers uh, in, in shutting it down. I started to feel like a hypocrite. You know, uh, here I am interviewing all these people about mental fitness and talking about this app and being interviewed and so forth about these practices, but at the same time, in that moment my mind was just full to capacity with so much financial stress and the stress of you know having a team on board and and really not seeing the light at the end of the tunnel i mean you know you can you can have a lot of um you know ambition and motivation and hope and 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 know that it will work out but you need you need some level of certainty and that at the very end was we were actually given that because we, for the first time, did some pretty extensive user research. And we, we, the results of that were so clear in terms of what we had to do next with the product. But at the same time, we had enough clarity within ourselves that we knew we wouldn't nail that within the, the next iteration, that it would take multiple and how many, we're not sure. And that we knew would cost a lot of money and money we didn't have as well as, like I said, you know, mental capacity. So, so yeah, we made the decision, you know what, we're going to, we're going to pull this from the market. 
um, which that in itself was was incredibly challenging because we're, we're not, you're not talking about a parking meter app. Like people had their lives in here. I had I remember I had there was a mom that reached out after we um, sent the email that we were shutting it down and that we're essentially giving users about a about a month to download their data, which we didn't even have an export feature at that time. Like we were scrambling to put something together. It was in it was in the roadmap for down the road, so that at least people could get something out of it. And I remember this one mother. Uh, emailed me and she said, you know, she was super nice. She, she said, I'm, I'm really sad to see that this app is disappearing. Thank you for putting, you know, creating this export feature. Um, I've documented the first, you know, seven months of my child's life in this app. And I'm like, oh, like there's, as a dad myself, and I see you mm-hmm. as well, in the background, I mean, that like straight to the heart there, right? Um, so it was, it was, it was tough because it was, it felt like it's letting people down on the other side. Uh, it felt like I let my own family down, you know, I, as much as I was, you know, as much as you're out there marketing a product and selling, you know, a a vision and a dream and even bringing in some of the people that we had in the app, there was a, you know, here's, here's the plan. I had to do that with myself and my family. And like, here's, here's, cause they're all involved, right? Like we, I left a really good career. We left, uh, we sold our 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 condo in Montreal. We moved cities at that point. We're in a we were in Toronto, the most expensive city in at least Canada. And it was all supposed to be temporary. And here, like things are just blowing up, right? So it was it was really challenging, but it was a, one of those pivotal pivotal moments that unlocked the path that I'm on right now that I never even knew existed. I never even knew that that was the role I was. is the role I'm supposed to be doing because now it feels all very aligned and very right. Because before, like I didn't leave a job in a a situation where I was unhappy. I just left because I knew I would regret not trying this venture. That was was the big uh, kind of aha moment for me. So yeah, and, and that's that's obviously uh, that that's a big question for anybody. Like, and this is something you touch upon in the book. This idea of that at the end of your life, and you even had some statistics around this. Um, it's a very high percentage of people that are not asking what regrets do I have about the things that I did do. What do I regret that I didn't do? That's a big yeah. question, right? Yeah. So what what I want to use uh, this experience as is kind of like a testing ground to dig deeper into developing the skill to ask better questions. So one question that I know you had to ask at some point, and we're going to reverse engineer our way to this, do we delete the app or not? That's a big question. You had to ask yourself that question, had to talk about your team. Like eventually you got to the point, all right, do we delete it or not? But if we were to reverse engineer into that, what are some of the other questions you were asking along the way before you even asked that one? Because there are plenty of people that are thinking, should I quit my current job or not? Should I quit my current relationship or not? But there are a series of other questions and part of the Socratic method, whether it's conversing with others or yourself. Mm -hmm. Excuse me. This is a skill I believe that people can develop. They just have to know how. So what are the questions that you asked that led to the big question? Well, the one that that comes to mind immediately is is a question that I was left um, by a gentleman by the name of Scott Belsky, who uh, for anyone who doesn't know who Scott is, 
Oh, there it is. Yes, the messy middle. Of course. I mean, of course. I bought this five minutes after reading about it in your book. So yeah, I'm all about yeah. Scott Belsky. So Scott Belsky. Uh, so now he's, uh, I, I, as far as I know now, maybe he's changed roles, but he's a VP over at Adobe. And before that was running Behance, which was acquired by Adobe. And I remember when I interviewed Scott, you know, he left me with that question uh, and I'll paraphrase it, or just basically around like, do you have the same level of conviction for, in this case, the business you're running or the product you're developing, but you can use this for anything, the relationship you're in, the job that you're in? Do you have the same level of conviction for that thing uh, now than what you had when you first entered into that, you know, business or relationship? And if the answer is no, then that should lead to some other questions of, well, you know, like, why? Like, what is it? Is there something like, can you regain that? Is there something you can do and so forth? Or is it just, and in my case, something changed along the way of that journey that this avenue of this app just no longer felt right anymore? You know, because I was trying... It's hard to make clear decisions when you're under financial pressure and the fear of, you know, just not being able to cover your expenses for for the month right so you you have to find something you have to find something to just pause that and to be able to think clearly and usually like some of these questions were were helpful because when i'm answering those questions i'm not thinking about the other stuff at least in that brief moment of time so it was that that question from scott that as soon as he left that you know it's it was hard cuz that was a bit of punch a bit of a punch in the face it's like well what happened like how like why? Like where did I lose the you know that that sense of conviction? And there's I think a, a multiple multiple answers to that 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 all led to the same thing that you know what this I don't know what the path is. I know I'm on the right journey, but this path that I'm on within the journey is for whatever reason has to end. And I, of course, I didn't know about the book that was going to come up. You know, probably six seven months later. Uh, which is directly linked to Joey. Um, not just not not just that they published it, but he had a huge say in in the, actually creating this book, um, or you know the work that I'm doing with teams around training them up how to be mentally fit and so forth. So, I think at the end of the day, we just need to give ourselves the opportunity for to let our minds breathe and ask these questions. And in 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 this case. The question from Scott was of tremendous quality because it was very relevant and applicable to what I needed at that time. And that to me is the definition of a high quality question, right? Because you can ask the same question at a different in a different period of time and it'd be, you know, helpful, but not as relevant. Just like when my mind was in self-destruction mode and I was heading into that kind of deep depression when Chip Conley sent me the question, well, what do you want for your life? And that, you know, that led to the whole just thought that it doesn't matter who we are, where we're at, what's going on. We're all one question away from a different life. And in, in less grandiose terms, one question away from a completely different mood at any point. My sincerest apologies for the interruption, but if you're a creative professional who spends long hours at your workstation, not only is the following promo not an interruption, but listening has the potential to change your life. Because working with a topo mat underneath you at a height adjustable workstation is a game changer. 
Let's learn a little bit more from Ergo-driven co-founder and CEO, Kit Perkins, creator of the Topo Mat. The Topo Mat is the first anti-fatigue mat designed specifically for standing desks. The real benefit of a standing desk is movement. We found bringing in this cushioned terrain under your feet, your brain just subconsciously engages and you wander around and you get that movement at the standing desk that you need without even having to think about it at all. People will come to me at an event or a panel and they'll say, I got the topo mat because of you. Even when they had a mat, once they used this one, it was a total game changer. We've just heard time and time again that with topo, we've kind of hit the sweet spot that it's the right premium quality materials and a right shape that people are actually getting benefit out of this stuff. You spend more time here than anywhere if you do creative work the way that I do. So I would rather be driving around in a Ferrari than a Ford Pinto. And I feel like this is the Ferrari of the standing mat. One of the things you don't realize is that at a standing desk, your main interface to the world, your body's main interface to the world is the ground. If you're gonna invest in anything at that Ferrari level, it should be what you're standing on. Well, my goal is that for anybody that is a creative professional like myself, that's stuck in front of a computer for inordinate amounts of time of their waking life, they're doing it standing on a topo mat. So uh, you and I, my friend, one edit station at a time are going to change the world. I like it. That's a utopian vision I can get on board with. If you're a creative professional looking for a simple and affordable way to stay active, energetic, and focused while spending long hours at your height adjustable workstation, I can't stress enough how important it is to have the right mat underneath you, which is why I continue to share the Topo Mat as my number one product recommendation. To learn more about the Topo Mat and purchase yours, visit optimizeyourself.me slash Topo. That's T-O-P-O. So given that uh, a major part of your story and also something you emphasize very heavily, both in your journey, but your book, is this meta question of all questions, this idea that we are all one question away from a completely different life. Clearly, you're on this podcast because I believe in the power of the questions that we ask ourselves and others. But I'm going to come at it from an opposite perspective for a second and play the devil's advocate. That Mm. seems really simple. Really? One question? I mean, come on. Is it really that simple? Absolutely. So let's let's role play this one a little bit. Let's say, um, imagine a time when you feel like you don't have control of your mind and you feel stressed or fearful. Has anyone ever felt I, that? I can't imagine any <laughs> ever feeling that way in the last right? seven minutes. Maybe by the, you know, maybe before, but yes, I, I think we can all relate to this. Exactly. Right. So in that same moment, then you just, you close your eyes and you ask the question, who's someone within my, in my life that I can celebrate right now? Bring them to your, bring them to your, to your mind, see them, see, you know, what they look like, what they're wearing, what they're saying to you, and then just send them a little love, virtual love. It's one gratitude question that immediately flips you into a positive state because you can't be thinking about that question and also still be dwelling on the fear or the anxiety, whatever's coming up. Uh, chemically, it doesn't work. And when we, we, we pop into gratitude, practices, we're firing up a, or we're giving ourselves a neurochemical cocktail, serotonin and dopamine, dopamine, which are all the feel-good emotions. So that's like the easiest way to to really trigger things. The other thing is it's, you know, often thing I hear all the time and, and something I use all the time is, you know, we we get into this mode of of thinking in our mindset of lack. Like if we want to start a new project, like, ah, I don't have the money to do that. I don't have the resources or like this, this won't work. This will happen, blah, blah, blah. There's a million excuses that we, that we can form within seconds versus um, instead of going down that route, if you are to just take a minute, pause, 
the pause is key. We've got to stop the narrative and just ask the question, well, what if everything went right? Write that scenario out. Not to say that everything's going to go right, but it's you're definitely starting from a place of, of, of abundance and possibility than a place of lack. And I'm willing to guarantee or bet that you'll come up with come up with some pretty innovative ideas to make something happen that probably wouldn't have surfaced if you started from that place of lack. So thank you for the challenge. Challenge accepted. But yes, I do believe we're all one question away at, at any point. Yeah. And what I love about that is the way that you compartmentalize it and make it, you, you simplified it. Because I think most people in a general definition would read the phrase, we are all one question away from a completely different life. And they're thinking, my life in the future, I've got a different job. I've got a different car. I have more money. I have a different spouse. It's a totally different life. And yeah. you're saying, no, literally your life can be totally different in 30 seconds. Because the life that we are experiencing is all a perception in our minds. Yes. But the other thing too, like if, here's the thing, I mean, and you, I'll I'll borrow some stuff from, from a mutual guest we've had, James Clear, and, you know, probably one of the most successful nonfiction authors out there uh, in terms of the books he sold. You know, I often think of his questions, you know, just who am I right now and who am I striving to become? And so, you know, that gets back to that, that, you know, that bigger grandiose life question. And it's not like we, we put this pressure on ourselves of like, wow, that's a huge question. Who am I striving to become? It doesn't have to be a huge question. It's just, just think, well, who do you want to be? You know, what would be, what would be a great life? Like what characteristics do you want to show up as a, or with, and what energy do you want to put out there? And, and how do you want to be like, just let your mind visualize that and, and design start designing the neural pathways to get there because the next step then is and again it's not about having any self-judgment it's just data it's no different like we do this day in day out with businesses brand plan where are we at here in january where do we want to be end of december here are the financial targets that are associated to those things do that rinse and repeat every year all the time with brands and i i used to do that on these hundred million dollar brands it's not very complicated. They're just two questions. But we don't typically do this with our life, the kind of the most important business of, of them all, essentially. So when we look at these questions then, and then this is where James comes in, you know, then it's just about, well, but my habits and my systems and do my like practices and rituals, they're either supporting that destination or they're pushing us farther away. And again, it doesn't have to be this huge blow up of your life, but just start making some micro adjustments. Like, okay, I'll just, I'll switch this up here. Maybe it's a five minute adjustment in the morning of, well, this, because you've at least set the the path, the intention. I want to be here, right? Okay, well, how do I, what's one step I can take to get there? And that's what Chip did for me. Well, what, what do you want for your life, Mark? Well, I want, you know, the ideal day would be something like this. Well, I'm nowhere near that right now because I'm fearing making rent right now. But if I want to be here, well, who do I need to speak with to, to get closer to that place? What, what's one, like, what are some projects I can fire up and what, what are some steps I can take? And slowly but surely, you can start getting closer and closer and closer, right? And it gives you, gives you the hope and the inspiration to keep going because you start to feel the progress. And I think it's Tony Robbins that says, like, the, the, the key to happiness is, is the sense of making progress, whether that's you know professionally or personally, and and I really do believe that, and because if you think about it, like it feels good when you're when you're you you see some momentum or you're you're making some sort of progress. So yeah, so I, I, at the end of the day, like we make this stuff so 
so complicated or we try to complexify these things and make them bigger than what they have to be. And, and we get scared of that. And then it, then it freezes us into not taking any action. When if we can just simplify and make some subtle little adjustments, like that's where the magic happens. Yeah. And uh, clearly this is uh, front and center in all of James Clear's work. And I'm so glad we're using that as a vocabulary, like a, a mutual connection. Um, and I'll make sure to put in our show notes, my interview with James Clear, because to this day, it's still one of the most popular that I have in the library. It's one of my favorites. I'm so fortunate to have caught him at exactly the right time where he's like, sure, I'll do a podcast. And I was like, I know. what? Because he's I'm impossible the, to get. But I'm you get him in that, that window of 17 minutes where he'll say yes and, you know, got him. Um, but this is uh, would be another really really great case study in the the difference in outcomes when you just change the question. And I think that yeah. for so many people, the question is, what am I trying to achieve? Whereas with James Clear, who am I optimizing to become? And clearly, <laughs> big part of what I'm doing is asking <laughs> that question. Um, and I had this conversation recently. I don't know if you're familiar with Will Storr. He's the author of a book called The Science of Storytelling, which is fascinating. Oh. And we talked all about this idea of when either if you're a writer, uh, fiction, novel, screenplays, or even the writer of your own life, you can either focus with a character-driven story and the plot follows the character or you decide the plot and the character follows the plot, right? Mm -hmm. And what we're talking about is a character-driven story where I'm working towards an identity as opposed to, the, an example would be a question that I would have been asking myself incessantly over and over for years is how do I win my first Oscar, right? And that led to a lot of decisions that brought me a certain amount of external success, but a lot of internal misery and being sure. in misalignment with my identity of, for example, a present dad and present husband. So if you ask the question instead, who am I optimizing to become? Well, I want to become a more present father and husband. This is the manifestation of that becoming the answer to a different question and going a totally different direction with my life as opposed to how much money do I want to make? How do I how can I get a raise? How can I get a promotion? How can I get this award? Who am I optimizing to become to me is one of the core questions in my programming to change the other questions that I ask after it. Yeah, I love it. Love it powerful right. right yeah it's 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 amazing stuff and the i'll i'll give you an, uh, another example and i don't want to hijack this uh, cuz you're the guest but i think that um what i want to take you through is my process of a few huge questions that i learned to ask myself and i want to get your take on them um i went through uh, a pretty major kind of like, oh my God, what have I done with my life moment? Where similar to you on the outside, people would say, you've got 87 million people seeing your app and you're getting ready to ask if you should hit the delete button. At the time I was editing the number one show on network television that had broken decades of rating records. It was the first season of Empire. Okay. And I was saying to myself, I don't wanna do this anymore. I've, I've reached the top and this is not what I thought it was. And I'm working all the time and I'm completely and totally burned out and I'm exhausted. I don't know how to get out of this. And in the process of learning more about journaling and asking questions and personal development, I came up with one question and there were a million that led to it, but there was one foundational question that changed my entire life. It seems so simple. The question was, how can I make a living knowing that I can be available to help my kids with their homework at 3 p.m.? That was it. And I built all of my other questions around that, which meant, well, I can't work for, you know, Hollywood TV shows, although I've now found a way to do that remotely with kind of being creative with my schedule. But it meant that, well, I have to primarily be home. And what are other services or other value I can provide to people that allow me to make a living that aren't editing 
Because if I'm even editing from home 60, 70, 80 hours a week, I'm never available to help my kids with their homework. So that was a fundamental question that I was problem solving for years. And then here's where the problem comes in. I answered the question. And for a long time, I was like, what question am I supposed to be asking now? Because I never thought I would make this my reality and I didn't know how to ask the next one. And it took me a long time to figure it out. So let's go back to that moment. If I were talking to you, let's probably four years ago, all of a sudden I'm making a living, largely working from home, got the coaching program, got the podcast, still editing for making money a certain period of time, but allowed me to work from home because that was a non-negotiable based on the identity that I wanted to assume. All of a sudden I've answered the question, how can I make a living and also be home at 3 p.m. to help my kids with their homework? How do I figure out the next question? You let the next question surface intuitively. Mm. And that's, that's the piece that really brings in the consistency of these, these practices, right? Because the, 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 more, the more you're journaling, or, and it doesn't just have to be journaling. Like, it, it's just like physical fitness. You've got to find the, the exercises that, that work for you, right? If you, if you don't like to run, that doesn't rule out all of exercise. There's a million things you can do. So same thing with mental fitness. The key, though, is to find things that either still your mind, calm your mind, or make your mind feel happy and good. And that's the question. It's like, okay, well, what can I do? that I know for sure will make me feel great. And for me, I know journaling helps, breath work helps, walks, exercise, um, time snowboarding. I live in a ski town. So, you know, I tried to, again, like we're conditioned though, of like, oh, don't take time like that to to do that in the middle of the day. That's not productive. And, and I feel that programming too. It happened this week, but I still went and stuff surfaced. Like it clears out your mind. So the more you do these things, and the more they're in your routines and part of your rituals, the more self-aware you become. And then when you sit down and ask a question like, well, what am I really hearing here? Like, what am I hearing in the whispers? Then you get the, then it's, oh, well, it's this path here, right? It's, it's this direction. And that was, it, it, that's the presence piece. And, and that actually was my goal when, when we were launching the book. Of course, I wanted to hit lists and all that stuff and whatnot, but I didn't. And I asked, James, it was around the time I was just finishing the book when I interviewed James Clear. And, and he spent a good 20 minutes after the interview just giving advice, which was uh, priceless. And I just remember thinking, you know what? With the app, we were doing everything possible to hit all these lists and get all this PR and blah, 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 and, and leverage it as much as possible. But the book, I just want to be... 100% present in every podcast interview I do for the promo of this book and anything that surrounds the launch of this book to go in present so I can see the actual path or opportunity that is lingering around there that I would miss if I was, okay, we got it. We know we've got to get this, this, and this to hit the Amazon list or this list or whatever. And, you know, that just has never left me. Um, it's the questions I ask the most. Um, Friday night, we're recording this essentially. It's probably what I'm going to reflect on in my own journaling. Like what, what really happened this week? A lot of things happened, but what really happened that was meaningful and that feels like I should dedicate more energy towards? We have those answers. 
we just need to we just need to blow out the mind and clear out all the cobwebs and the relationships and the emotions that are clogging up those answers to, to come out right or the question the next question you're seeking mm-hmm. and the for me the key here in all of this and you've already said it i just want to emphasize it again because it's so important is the presence if yeah. you then this is one of the the positive side effects that i've seen in establishing a journaling practice which i thought i established a few months ago and have now discovered i established a decade ago but it's the immense amount of presence that I have for the thoughts that are consuming my mind and the things that I either do want to achieve, don't want to achieve, what's standing in the way. And probably eight times out of 10, what I end up writing about in a weekly newsletter or a guest that I seek out is just me selfishly trying to workshop my own problems, yeah. knowing that the people in my audience have the exact same problems that they're trying to workshop. So therefore, me being open and vulnerable about it, it creates value for them. But frankly, I know what I was struggling with at any given point in the last 10 years of my life because that's who I'm seeking out to do a podcast with yeah, or that's totally. what I'm writing about, right? Don't so tell that, everyone our secrets. Yeah, right? <laughs> uh, but the, the presence is just so key to the process. And what I've discovered, and again, it's, just, it's one of those things where you can't just say, well, here are the five question prompts and you're going to come to the biggest question in your life after doing this exercise. There's a, there's a, a good amount of intuition and patience that comes with it. Um, but essentially one of, if not the most foundational question that I now ask myself that I apply everything else through as a filter, and maybe another one will come at another time. But in this stage of my life, the question that I ask that goes underneath all the rest of them, am I at peace with how I spend my time? Mm, and when I'm what was trying to figure out the next question to ask from, well, I don't need to figure out how to work from home and make sure I can help my kids with their homework at 3 p.m. What am I figuring out next? Well, am I at peace with my time? In general, yes. But one of the discoveries that I found is I don't really like running a business. I love doing the creative work. I love doing the podcasting, love writing the newsletter. I love creating course content and new videos and workshops. I kind of hate running a business. Being a CEO sure. is not my thing. I'm good-ish at it. I'm not great. So I thought, well, I'm not at peace with how I spend my time when I'm in my business. I'm at peace when I'm working on my business. Yeah. So what needs to change? So the question that it evolved into is how can I make a living only running my business for 15 hours a week or less, which is a challenging question to answer, but it, it begs me to answer much more complicated questions and solve problems that I might think, ah, I'm never going to be able to figure that out. But if this is the goal, what needs to change? And there was a, a conversation that you brought up in the book. I think it was a Tim Ferriss prompt that you mentioned, this idea of what do I want to achieve in a year? Great. Now, how are you going to do it in six months? Yeah, well, it just challenges us because there's always there's always other paths or other you know routes that that we can take if we just push our minds a little bit, right? Or like even in your example, I mean, eventually you would get to the realization that you don't like running, you know, you don't like being the CEO of the business. It just probably would have looked like a, a big blow up of some sort. Be like, well, what the hell happened here? Well, yeah, as I don't like doing this, so certain things fell through the cracks or didn't 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 operate properly, whatever, right? So, for me, like any of these questions or journaling or, or and reflective practices, it's just how can we how can we prevent some of these massive explosions. Uh, if left, you know, kind of undealt with in a way, um, it's bad language there as a as a writer. That's why I had good editors, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know. But it's these check-ins, 
because the, the the clues, the breadcrumbs are there, right? So it's these check-ins and, and you're asking those questions like, okay, uh, and being real with yourself. So then how do we, how do we micro adjust right back to James's prompts? Like, well, this is where I'm trying to go. Well, let's set the, let's adjust the course so I can, I can head to that direction versus being on autopilot and not realizing that we're on autopilot and just kind of flowing through. And then next thing you know, you're like, how did I get here? I mean, what, what, and this happens all the time, right? Uh, or worse yet, I'm on someone else's autopilot, you know, I'm not even on my own, you know, and it's, th- that's, that's scary to me. I mean, that's, that's where you get to these regrets and and whatnot. So, you know, for the, for the time and effort that it takes just to ask a damn question. I mean, <laughs> that's why I'm so passionate about this. Just take some time. I mean, I think we all deserve that And your, your, your mind deserves it. You feel better. You feel more clear. And, you know, you just just be more aligned with where you're, where you, where you're heading in, in the life and the work that you want to uh, live and, and experience. Yeah, I, I hadn't even thought about the fact that having gone through this journaling process and having the realization in a very calm, focused manner of, huh. I'm not sure I want to be a CEO anymore, or at least I want to do it full time and be in the business. So maybe it's time to reflect on questions to restructure my systems, change my habits. That was a very cognitive process of introspection, writing it down, coming to my team and saying, all right, so here's what I'm thinking. This is the direction we should go versus not being present with it. And all of a sudden be like, I hate my life. How did this happen? Right? Because that's Kind of the moment that I had when I was at the top of the game as an editor, realizing how did I get here? How did this all of a sudden happen that I'm in this position and everything about myself and my life and my habits and everything? I just hate this isn't who I am. I had these tools when I was younger. I think I would have course corrected a heck of a lot sooner. Yeah, for sure. And they're so accessible. Right. And so accessible. Uh, one of the things that you mentioned is how a question can very much serve as either a disruptor or a wake up moment. Um, and I know that I, whether inadvertently or subconsciously intended on this, um, I had uh, posited a question, which I always do in my newsletter every week. There's some very simple prompt or question like, you know, what's one simple habit you can adopt today to get more activity or focus? Some things that are bigger and more introspective. Um, but I had a few people reach out. They were like, you know, Dan you for questioning my entire life and my existence because the question that I posited to a bunch of craftspeople and creative professionals in the entertainment industry, I asked them, are you currently the cog on the assembly line of somebody else's dreams? And I had multiple people that were just like... Oh, like I had no, one of my, my, my <laughs> private clients, uh, got on a call the next day. He's like, I can't stop thinking about your newsletter. That's the power of the right question. Yeah. Yeah. And it can't like in a situation like that, uh, what I often hear with questions like that, it's, it's, it's like, how, how, how do you, how do you handle that discomfort? Because a lot of people don't want to ask those kind of questions because it's uncomfortable to answer them, right? And and typically, like kind of my line around that one is, again, eventually you're going to have to answer that question. It's just, would you rather answer the question a little bit more on your own terms and in a safer environment, a little bit more of a controlled environment or a scattered fearful, the world's exploding environment, which is 
again, very challenging to come up with a clear answer to the question, or I shouldn't say clear answer, a, you know, some direction and a path forward and, and to make sense of what's next when you're, when you're, when your mind isn't in a survival state of, or a survival frame of mind. Right. So that's why, like, I think we just, you know, the, the questions that scare us most are probably the ones you should lean into right now and just make it, make it fun. You know, like so set up the external and internal environment to to make the question, okay, yeah, this is a big prompt, probably going to surface some stuff that's that I'm not going to, you know, like, or it's not going to feel great. But let's look at this from a different perspective. I mean, where where could this lead me? You know, like think of the, all the, um, the, the unknown opportunity that's on the other side versus typically where we default to like this is the worst case like all the worst case scenarios are going to happen like we're like the best new york times sellers and uh, storytellers in our minds it's, it's crazy the stuff that we come up with right um but there's a flip side to that right like there's unimaginable things that that can come up so and and you can you can go back and journal like you've experienced those like just just think about some of the key relationships in your life or some of the, the the projects and things that have come into your world that really light you up. How did those things actually come to be? A lot of those things are not within your original master plan. Again, I think of everything. Like frankly, uh, the book, the podcast, this, this film series, like none of that stuff was in any kind of plan when I was graduating university and thinking I'm going to be a... a, a business professional of some sort in marketing and and uh, product management. I kind of went down that road, but now I'm on this whole other path that was not even a blip of, of imagination in my mind. I have spent almost 10 years now raving about how much I love my Topomat. And I have finally discovered what I now consider the Topomat of desk chairs, the Core 360. The Core 360, spelled Q-O-R, is designed to keep me constantly moving while seated in an upright and balanced position. To learn more about how it works, let's hear from Core 360 founder, Dr. Turner Osler, about why he created the Core 360 active sitting chair. When you sit badly, you sit badly for many hours a day. And that's really what the problem is. It's very hard to make yourself get up and do jumping jacks every half hour. But if you just swap to a chair that requires you to be muscularly engaged in order not to fall off, it's an easy bar to clear. For the procrastinators out there who hear all of the statistics and know how bad sitting is and it's the new smoking and they're thinking, that's something I'll worry about in a few decades, you're gonna feel the effects of having more energy at two o'clock in the afternoon or four o'clock in the afternoon that day. And that's the whole point. Your core muscles will be stronger. You'll have less back pain. All of this will make you more available for the rest of the pursuits of your life, your kids, your hobbies, your whatever. For those those of us who need to practically live in front of computers to do our best creative work, the Core 360 is going to level up your game. Keep your body moving and keep the creativity flowing. To learn more and purchase what I consider to be the topo mat of desk chairs, please go to optimizeyourself.me slash core360. That's optimizeyourself.me slash QOR360. It's funny that you bring that up uh, because I feel that one of the worst questions 
that we are conditioned to both ask and answer that has led to, I, I think, so many people feeling unfulfilled, being in a path that isn't for them. You can tell me if you disagree or if you agree. Who do you want to be when you grow up? <laughs> yeah. What a horrible question. Yeah, exactly. Agree? Yeah, of course. I mean, why is that such a horrible possibly? question? And why do we all ask it? And why is it just a part of our language? I don't know. I mean, I, I, I guess intuitively what comes up is, I don't know what the history of that question is, but I mean, I, I look at it as probably a more of a, of a positive slant and like, imagine what you, what, you know, what your, what your life could be like, what, what, what inspires you now in terms of what you want to do and so forth. But where, it, where, it, where it breaks down is when you have to make these huge life decisions on your education and the path to go down to, you know, okay, I want to be this or, or X. And then you get there and you're, you're, sometimes you even get there, you get halfway through and you're like, uh, this is not at all for me versus I think just being curious and trying a lot of different things that, that satisfy your curiosity. Like that's the big one, right? That, at least that I'm learning with, with all of this. I mean, I'm similar to you, like the guests that come on the show are, I have a question, like I'm trying to figure this out. There's people start seeing, there's a lot of, there's a lot of, of, of interviews in kind of the entertainment world and what so I'm trying to figure that space out and see how they, how, you know, these people are thinking and whatnot. Um, and then also just with, with the book, like, like what, what's that process like? Like, I mean, how, how do people do it? Like, what is, I mean, I asked James at the end, like, what, what was, what recipe did you follow? follow? I know, you know, it's not, it's not going to work for everyone, but what, what did you do? And well, it seems to be working. I'll try some of these things and, and, and do my best to ask some other questions and try others and other, you know, strategies and whatnot as well. So yeah, I don't, I don't know. I mean, it's, um, it's probably, you know, some sort of uh, strategy to get a little bit of direction so that we're not aimlessly wandering around. But I think if we were to ask the question, what feels right to me or who do I want to be? Uh, like in terms of values and characteristics, that probably will lead to a little bit more of an accurate, you know, um, job or, you know, mission in life or whatever it is. And just be open to the fact that um, that will evolve as it should evolve. And uh, because if it's not evolving, you're probably not asking questions and not, you know, pushing yourself and growing and so forth. Then you... It, to me, not evolving equals autopilot. Mm -hmm. And autopilot is the place that I, I never want to be. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I never want to be there again either. And I think you identified uh, what I think is a great alternative to this question that we've had. We've, we're forced to answer this from basically the time we're verbal, like three or four years old. Oh, what do you want to do when you grow up? Do you want to be an astronaut? Do you want to be a firefighter, a baseball player? And we keep asking it. Or if it's even phrased as, you know, who who do you want to be next? We assume that means, well, who I want to be is a firefighter or an astronaut or a brand manager or a CEO, as opposed yeah. to who do you want to become? What are those values? Well, I want to be somebody that's present with the people around me and I want to be reliable and I want to be loyal. Those are things that can stick around for a lifetime. I believe the way that we fix this problem very, very easily is asking the same question, but you add a word. So what do you want to do next? Like yeah. who's, who's going to be doing the same thing in the 21st century from the time they graduate from college until they retire and they get their gold watch and their pension. Like we do not live in that world anymore. 
but people feel like I have to choose who I'm going to be and that sticks. I'm like, well, who do I want to be next? What do I want to do next? And I can define next as a week, as a year, as seven years. But to me, it makes it a much simpler question that takes so much pressure off of me. Huge. Yeah, I love, I love that. You know, and then on top of it, it's also making the assumption that who we are at the moment, well, it clearly isn't enough, so I must strive for more. And again, I think that inherent in our questions need to be the understanding that it's not that I'm bad and how do I become better? It's this is who I am now. Maybe that's already great and I accept that, but I want to become something different, go a different direction, not out of judgment, but just like you said, I think a, a big word is curiosity. Yeah. Yeah. Love it. You're going deep. Yes. Going deep. And I'm going to throw, I'm going to throw a wrench into all of this. I have no idea where this part of the conversation is going to go. Um, but I'm going to assume, and you can tell me if I'm wrong, but I'm going to assume you're probably familiar with the work of Gretchen Rubin and the four tendencies. Uh, I'm familiar with Gretchen Rubin. I haven't read the four tendencies or, or studied well, I'll break it down I'm, for I'm you. I'm sure Super. I've heard of them. You've probably heard of them. I'm going to break it down at uh, very, very, in very simplistic terms. And I have an entire episode that we will link to for anybody that's curious as well. But I found this to be uh, a foundational portion of the work that I teach with my clients. And essentially, okay. it's not a personality test where it's like, you are this, you are that. It doesn't put people in buckets. I hate that stuff. Yeah. Same. But what it does is it gives you a framework for better understanding yourself in one specific context which is how do I respond to expectations that are put upon me either externally or internally? And there are four basic buckets or general tendencies, not traits, but tendencies. They're the upholder, the obliger, the questioner, and the rebel. The upholder is somebody that very simply and very rigidly will meet both an external expectation and an internal one. The obliger will blindly, to the point of being a martyr and self-sacrificing, will meet external expectations at the expense of their own internal expectations. The rebel, they struggle with meeting any of them, right? You're not going to tell me what to do, and neither am I. Yeah. And then the questioner is always asking the questions and understanding why something works. Is it the best option? Is this justified? Does this make sense? And I know for a fact that I'm a questioner on steroids. It's one of the reasons I enjoy podcasting. Something tells me, based on your <laughs> yeah. book and your work, you are probably a questioner. It seems to resonate, that's right? for sure. So given that background, let's assume that somebody wants to approach this process of asking better questions and journaling and more introspection but they don't have the default tool set that you and I have wired in our brains if we naturally see the world through the framework of questions. Where do they start? Because I think that you and I are almost in a way cheating because I'm asking questions all day, every day, but a lot of people don't see the world through that framework. So I'm assuming you've dealt with a lot of different people, different personalities, some creative, some analytical. How do you help people that say, I don't understand how to ask questions. I don't usually do that by default. I don't think that was my default mode uh, either, probably, you know, 12, 15 years ago until I started studying the questions or I started ask, I should say, I started asking more questions myself as a practice. Um, and again, just like, just like physical fitness, it's, it's the training, it's the reps that, you know, you can, you, I do believe you can train your curiosity muscles if you're using them and strengthening them on a, on a daily basis. And one of the ways, one of the easy ways to do that is to just check in with yourself each morning. How do I feel? One word, right? And just start the day understanding, you know, what's going on emotionally so that you can A, 
typically, you know, if you you ask how do I feel, and if, if you if you say oh, I feel feel overwhelmed or stressed, well, where do you feel that, or where do I feel that in my body? Typically, just by putting some energy towards understanding the location releases it, but then leads you to the next question. Naturally, well, why? Like what? Like what's fueling that stress or that overwhelm? And you can cut the fuel. So. This is kind of a you know a, a double prong approach because a if you continually train your mind to ask that question you're going to start boosting your self awareness and you're going to start boosting creativity or sorry curiosity and probably creativity but also you're starting the day without emotions that will for sure hijack you throughout the day had you not identified them because that's the thing whether we ask those questions or not those emotions are coming in with us uh, throughout the day and they affect everything right so that's one way to do it and then i would just say again just i mean i'm biased with journaling of course because that's that's a natural way to fire up these questions and and you know help train these these curiosity muscles but if if you know if you're in a meeting uh, at work or in conversation with someone, go into go into those conversations and meetings with the goal of being present and listening and asking questions, and just go in with an objective of curiosity and understand. And, and coming back in, Chip Conley, you know, he he, I keep mentioning his name. Um, at one point, when he was an advisor at Airbnb. Uh, that's how, what he he was the old guy essentially in, in a team of 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 a bunch of young kind of tech uh, individuals and employees and whatnot. So he had to go in and just be extremely curious and ask a bunch of questions, even though he had just spent twenty five years running one of the most successful boutique hotel chains and just sold it. Right. So it's like you check your ego at the door and just be curious and ask questions. And the more you ask questions, the more you'll just start to do that naturally. And and like you and I, uh, I think it's, I love it. Because I mean, e- even when I read a book, uh, <laughs> for whatever reason, if I, if I land on a point or a paragraph that's interesting that I would highlight, for me, then I see a sequence of questions immediately. You know, here's the big question. And here are some other follow-up prompts that can help us go a little deeper in that topic or myself first, usually, right? And that, so that just starts to naturally happen. Right. It's just again, like if you got up every morning and the first morning, you know, you you know, took a, a 10 minute brisk walk, then the next morning you're gonna do five minute run with uh five minutes of walking and kept building up and building up. Eventually, naturally, if you're asked to, you know, run somewhere for whatever reason, you can do it because your body is trained to do it. Same thing if you're in a work setting or personal setting and you're faced with Oh, I need to I need to ask a big question here. Well, your your mind's trained to do that already. And you're going to you're naturally already since you put in the effort going to be asking much higher quality questions that go way past the surface level. And um it's just again it's just it's the training piece of it. And what you've tapped into that I think is so paramount to the work that I've done and is so paramount to the work that you're doing. You've tapped into the idea that this is a skill you develop. 
This is not, I'm either genetically wired to ask questions or I'm not. It's basically my default tendency and I'm a never ending question asker and I have been since I was verbal and probably even before where I was randomly pointing at things. Mm -hmm. My parents would always say, even when I was a toddler, he's obsessed with how things work, mm -hmm. how they're put together. I was taking stuff apart and now I've just reached the point where instead of doing it with stories or with movies, I'm just doing it with human beings, tearing all the pieces apart, understanding how they work, how they're wired. But this is a skill, not something that I'm good at and others aren't because I was blessed with it. The same that I believe creativity is a skill, focus is a skill, this idea of what I call cognitive fitness and you call mental fitness, which I think we'll be talking a lot more about offline. Yeah. Um, so given that this is a skill that can be developed, now I want to leave people with a few habits or systems to help them develop the skill. So the first one would be if we're laying out the routines and the habits, how often do you feel we could break this down? An example would be that for me, I would say that there's there are different questions and versions of a daily uh, journaling practice or a daily review versus a weekly review versus a monthly review versus biweekly or quarterly or every six months or a year. Like we could very deeply go down the rabbit hole of what this looks like. But if I want to start developing the skill, what should my habits look like to do it well? Well, first and foremost, it's... The it, the habit is dedicating the time and prioritizing uh, a small chunk of time to start, right? Like for me, and I imagine for you as well. Like my my flow or my my morning and evening and and everything in between has evolved over you know many years. For example, so you know I have a pretty dialed in. Um, or block of time in the morning, an hour, an hour and a half, every single, or at least five days a week, uh, dedicated to mental and physical fitness. And it really takes a lot. Like if there's an event or something in the evening that's going to run late, it really has to be valuable in, in order to, to knock back my morning routine. Because that time literally dictates the next 24 hours of, of how I'm showing up and so forth. But that's that's years of... of evolving and and personalizing stuff that I know works for me. What's most important is that it I'm not stringent on I have to journal in that time or I have to do breath work in that time or I have to take a walk or do a spin class or lift weights or uh, read a book that I know will be positive or I'll learn something. The key is I know that those things put my mind in a healthy state and that will train my mind. So that is step one, is to answer the question, what are five to 10 rituals, activities, uh, practices that I know for me will put me in a good mental state? And have that list around and make sure that you're doing some of those things every day and figure out, I mean, just the morning statistically just works. I'm sure you've seen this in your interviews. I'd say at least 80 plus percent, at least the people I've studied, uh, have some sort of morning routine. We're not all hardwired to wake up naturally like that. But the reality of the situation, the longer you wait, the longer uh, the probability that these things will not happen because life happens, right? It's like when you're like, oh, yeah, I'm not, I didn't sleep well. I'm going to skip the workout. I'll do it at two o'clock because I have a, uh, an opening. That never happens. It rarely happens, right? Because life happens and, and, and whatnot. And same thing for, you know, any of the parents out there. As, as you know, 
those little mini humans uh, typically rock our schedules if they're not sleeping well, depending on the age of, of your kids and so forth. So sometimes, because I have a six-year-old and a 15-month-old, and the, the new little guy is really testing us on the sleep, my hour and a half goes down to five minutes. But the five minutes, and in this case, I'll do five minutes of guided breath work, is, is the micro win of starting the day, you know, versus not doing anything at all, then I feel behind already, right? So, you know, just to answer your question directly, identify the practices and the, and, and the rituals and whatnot that work well for you and stack them into things that you're already doing, right? When the For me, when the coffee is brewing, that's when I'm doing the check-in question. Beside the coffee machine, I've got typically uh, one of Ryan Holiday's books uh, leaning on there. The Daily Stoke was there for probably, uh, you know, at least five years and I just kept going through it. And one page. I'm reading literally one page as the coffee's brewing. I do a quick check-in. If I just did that, and that's less than five minutes, I'm already starting the day feeling like I'm, you know, on the top of the world. I've probably had a little perspective shift by reading whatever he's writing about in Stoke philosophy. I've checked in on the emotions. I've checked in on how I want to show up and I'm about to have a great cup of coffee. I mean, it doesn't have to be more complicated than that, but you'll evolve it and it'll get longer because you'll be like, shit, I feel a lot better and I'm thinking more clearly and, and things seem to be working a lot better. Uh, I want to do more of this. It doesn't surprise me given the story is just a minimum of five minutes. I want to prime my brain to read about something interesting that could change my perspective as opposed to endlessly scrolling what's on Instagram, what's on Facebook. And you took the daily stoic and it's not something where you have to read chapter by chapter and take copious notes. You can just pull it off the the shelf, read a page or two at a time. I'm yeah. guessing that it's not just a coincidence that the way your book is structured is such that you can open it to any given chapter out of order and get the same value because it's giving you these prompts to think differently. Uh, your assumption is correct. Uh, and the the other part of that is the, the suggestion and, and people can, can consume or read the book in, in any, any way they want, of course. But the suggestion is to just open the table of contents in any given day and, and scan it and look at or, or, or stop on a prompt or person that attracts your attention. Because for whatever reason, you know, for whatever the reason that you stop there, there is something behind that, that you'll most likely get more relatable value by going into that chapter. And, and yes, the, 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 the chapters are written to be, you know, four to five or six pages intentionally so that if that's your mental fitness, uh, then at least you've, you, you know, you've got, I can at least guarantee that I'll get you to think and ask some questions or leave you thinking with something that ideally is, is positive for your mind or uh, will help you progress. And, um, and Ryan Holiday, actually, I mean, we ended up having a call with him when we were, Joey and I, when we were setting up the structure of the book, which was completely different. It was, it was a, uh, long form chapters and it was, you know, it was all about journaling, but it was, it was, it was not what you see today. And it was spending some time with Ryan. I think he said like, are you familiar with the daily stoic? I'm like, well, <laughs> well my copy is, is almost yellow from being like suntan from just the sun beating down on it for years and years. Um, and that's, you know, essentially how we arrived at, at the structure of the book. I think it's hilarious that I assumed you had gotten to this structure because you were reading his book, not just 
um, it's sitting by your coffee maker, but it being a part of your daily routine. But it's no, Ryan actually told me to do that. I didn't see that part of the story coming, but I love <laughs> yeah. it. Um, that's hilarious. Um, and the the value that I got of the way that it's structured and uh, first, just I'm sharing this gratitude with you, but I think it's valuable to others is that I talk a lot about on this show and with my students about how I consider myself a recovering perfectionist. And mm -hmm. as a recovering perfectionist and a completionist, my assumption is I can only successfully say that I've read a book if I've read all the pages and I've read them in order. And what oh. you did, you, spe you specifically write about this at the beginning yeah. of your book. You're like, read it out of order. I don't care. Read two pages a day. And I'm like, okay, I'll give it a try. This isn't <laughs> how I would usually do it. I'm usually very thorough. But what it really exemplified, and this is something I already intuitively knew, but it really hit the point home is that the way that I teach my material, I teach James Clear, I teach Cal Newport, I teach David Allen, I teach Gretchen Rupin, I will now be teaching Mark Champagne, right? Oh, I, love I it. teach these things. And what I've learned is that somebody can have the right book or the right questions at the wrong time and they get no value out of them. But if somebody reads the right book or the right questions at the right time, can completely change their life. And had I read your book chronologically in order, there were certain days that would have been like, nope, chapter seven is next, or I have to read chapter eight. And mm -hmm. instead I opened the table of contents. What do I feel like reading? And I would read something I'm like, oh my God, that's exactly what I needed to hear today. So the construction of the book is facilitating insights that it might not have with just a different table of contents. Wow, this, I mean, music to my ears. Thank you. Yeah, you're, you're more than welcome. Uh, so I've had a thought here and you can tell me how you feel about this. This is the portion of the program in which I would usually tell you, I want to be very respective of your time. I want to make sure that everybody can find your work and your book and we'll have all that in the show notes. But I want to get your thoughts on this idea. When I talked to uh, and did my interview with Joey Cafone, we ended with workshopping the big question that he was asking. And he might still be asking it, but his question at the time was, how can Baron Fig become the Nike for thinkers? <laughs> yes. And we spent like 20 or 30 minutes just talking about it. And he had a couple of pretty cool insights. And we've gone back and forth via email quite a bit. And it's helped him get closer to the solution. So we can close it and we can consider this like the formal closing of the program and we can give people the URL. But what I really want to know is what's the question you're asking right now? And is there some way that I can help support getting you closer to the answer? Ooh, I feel like you might have that. I mean, because uh, this is top of mind and what I'm working on, but it's how can I reach a more of a younger and mainstream audience to make these practices more accessible and relatable? And one of the, the, the paths that I'm taking is this is how this film series has come up. I have no desire uh, to, to just have a TV show. Like that's, that's, not, that's not the motivation. The motivation is the, the audience behind it, and especially a younger audience, because uh, this is very much related to musicians um, that have influence and that are followed um, that can make a real difference and provide tools that I see are just not there when I speak to high school students or college or university students. And I see these minds just so full of stress and um, tension and anxiety and, and all of that. And it's just, there's so much unnecessary mental struggling, out, uh, suffering out there that not that these are the end all be all tools, but they, they definitely can help. 
So, so that's the question that um, I'm always leaning back uh, to, including, as you know, uh, in in this film world where there's a lot of people that get involved and so forth. Uh, I mean, I'm just my stance is listen. Every day, there's 131 people that take their life in the U.S. Um, the more time we spend talking about this, you're either in or you're not. If you want to, if want to help me develop it, let's go. If not, then I'm, I'm moving on because people are dying. And uh, we're even even uh, even more scary. I mean, there's a quarter, if not half, of the population that are just struggling daily, nonstop. And students, seventy five percent. So let's come together. Let's help people. Uh, we can do this. It's there. Practices are there. And um, let's move from talking about various struggles in this space and actually bring in some tools and 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 make some change. All right. So then the question at the moment is, how can I reach a younger, wider swath of the population to share with them the skills and tools to help them ask better questions, help them alleviate yeah. anxiety, or even go as deep as to avoid suicide? Yeah. So I'm going to yeah. annoy you, and I'm going to use the Socratic method, and I'm not going to give you the answer. I'm going to keep asking questions. Why is this really important to you? What's the deepest layer of the why? Because you're you're pointing out something that's really important in the world that we know through studies and through research that because of technology and social media and everything that's going on, the younger population has a much higher level of anxiety and there's a higher suicide rate. I agree that's important, but I'm not deeply emotionally connected to that. What's your deeper emotional connection to wanting to affect this change? Well, I mean, I think we all deserve, uh, no matter what our circumstances, I, I think we all deserve to feel great and, and live a life that we feel happy more days than not. And I don't, we're statistically speaking, just not there. And I think that's a shame, you know, that, that, that is the default track and the kind of the pre can, you know, coming right back to like, what do I want to do when I grow up kind of thing? It's like, we've been conditioned to, if we fall under autopilot and don't make any changes, we're destined to be in that track. There's, you know, we just step like you and we're like you and I are in this container right now where we're, we're, we're lit up, we're energized, we get into these flow states and um, we're going to leave here feeling great. And we, we know that. But as soon as you step outside in the outside world, throw up the news or look at anything else, um, if you don't have the training or if you don't have the tools, you're you're automatically on that track to uh, not feeling great. Right. Including our health and our nutrition, all of that stuff. So. The, the underlying motivation is to pause the autopilot for people and and help them do so with with questions that are relatable for them. All right. Um, I'm going to throw one more question in because I know that you, uh, you've got a very tight schedule and I want to make sure to, to respect that. Um, something tells me this is going to be a much, much longer conversation very, very soon that, by the way, <laughs> again, putting myself out there, I am now a resource. Yeah, thank um, you. But uh, having a little bit better idea of the inner workings of the entertainment industry and everything that's going on out there. What if you were to investigate the question right now, rather than how do I get in front of a wider, younger audience? Am I using the right medium to get in front of this audience? Because when you said a TV series, my first thought is, I'm not sure that's the right medium to get in front mm -hmm. of the people that you want to affect and that you want to teach. 
So are you confident right now you have the right medium? And I don't know enough about the specific pitch or the structure, and maybe it is, um, but I'd be really focused on what medium gets me in front of the audience before I'm thinking about what is the actual story or the tools or how do I do that? Because the medium is really the the way to, to get in front of the right people. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I've thought about that. I mean, you know, is it, instead of a series like that, is it, is it a series on, you know, TikTok or YouTube shorts or something like that? Um, and I'm open, I'm open. I mean, this is still very much in the development phase of things. I'm, I'm open to it as long as again, the, the impact potential is there. Uh, I mean, that's what's, that's, what's driving me. Um, and also so that it, you know, and maybe this is kind of what you're alluding at as well, that it doesn't take forever to get something like this out because, um, you know, there's, there's real consequences. And, um, I, I, I feel, I, I, in a way feel like I have a, a, a moral responsibility having gone through my journey and kind of rock bottom moment and having studied so many minds and realizing that this stuff is so accessible, practical, as you're seeing with the book, like you don't have to be Picasso, uh, to resonate with the stuff in his chapter. It's the questions and the practices that make it relatable. Right. So same thing with the, with the concept with the series, um, you know, you don't have to be the 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 world famous musician to to resonate with this stuff, but the story and the narrative help help us understand or bring us in at least, right? Or attract us, like oh, what did Kobe Bryant have to say or whatnot? Um, and then we're into the work, right? So, yeah. Well, I'm 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 gonna just add you to the the same folder in which I have this ongoing conversation with Joey about sure. how do we turn Baron Fig into the Nike for thinkers and how do we get your ideas and skills and all these things that you're talking about in front of a wider and younger audience to give them lower anxiety and higher quality of life. That's going in the same collection. So I unfortunately, I'm gonna be in your inbox and I'm gonna be in your inbox soon and I'm very excited to continue this conversation. But alas, time is not on our side. And I know that you've got to run. So at least for now, we're going to put a pin in this conversation and very quickly go ahead. Shameless self-promotion moment. Oh, it's, I mean, it's simple. Just behind the human.com. I'm there. The show's there, the book, everything about me, uh, you can find over there. Uh, but more importantly, uh, I'm accessible. So shoot me a message wherever, wherever you're hanging out. And I'd love to know the questions that have made big changes in your life or that you think about on a frequent basis. Um, so we can share those out because there's guaranteed there's someone on the other side that'll find some value uh, with that prompt and that need it, you know, really, um, really severely in the moment. So please share. I'll reshare and let's keep the conversation going. Zach, it was it was a real pleasure uh, to be on the show with you. Yes, I look well, forward to the conversation is, to continue. It was beyond a pleasure for me as well. And I look forward to the conversation continuing and uh, at some point earning the right to even be a guest of the Becoming Human podcast. So <laughs> I love it. Um, yes. On that note, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much for investing both your time and energy listening to today's show. If you were inspired by this conversation, don't forget to subscribe in your podcast app of choice and most importantly, leave a review because that helps move the show to the top of iTunes and get our message out there to those who need it the most. Simply visit optimizeyourself.me slash subscribe to never miss another episode. Lastly, stay safe, healthy, sane, and most importantly, be well.
One last thing before I lose you. If you haven't already, I want to make sure that you subscribe to my free weekly Case of the Mondays newsletter because it is where I share my best advice, strategies, and mindsets to help you design a creative career that you absolutely love showing up for every Monday morning. When you sign up, I'm even going to send you a bonus five-day email course to help you clarify and prioritize the next small steps in your unique path to success. To sign up, just visit optimizeyourself.me newsletter, and I will see you in your inbox.